you to open your Bible this morning to the book of Leviticus, chapter 26. Leviticus 26, we're nearing the end of our study, one more chapter to go. We're going to see that chapter 26 is, functions really as the conclusion of the, uh, of the book. Chapter 27 is a bit of an appendix, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more um, as we open this together. But we're going to be reading chapter 26, and we'll read the entire chapter And uh, we'll see verse 46 sort of summarizes and concludes then all the commands that God had given to Israel uh, there on Mount Sinai. Let's let's begin then chapter 26, verse 1. This is God's word. You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a, a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshings shall last from the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid." And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I've broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all of my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consumes the eyes and makes the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power." And I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Then, if you walk contrary to me and and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children, and destroy your livestock, and make you few in number, so that your roads shall be deserted." And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you. And I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supply of bread, ten women shall break your bread in a single oven, and shall dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. 
But if in spite of this you will not listen to me but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. And I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your pleasing aromas. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths, as long as it lies desolate, while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight, and they shall flee as one flees from the sword, and they shall fall when none pursues. They shall stumble over one another as if to escape a sword, though none pursues, and you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. And you shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall rot away in your enemies' lands because of their iniquity, and also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away like them. But... If they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me and also in walking contrary to me so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them. And they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Our God in heaven, these are, these are heavy words, but I thank you, Lord, that they're words of life through our Lord Jesus Christ, and I pray that we would receive them this morning by your spirit, that we might, Lord, uh, understand what it means to be your covenant people and to walk in covenant with you, our God that we could also then enjoy the blessings. We pray, Lord, um, do your work. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning as we come to chapter 26, and Moses wraps up the instructions that the Lord gave to him on Mount Sinai, uh, we're going to talk about covenant blessings and curses. Uh, Boys and girls, uh, you know, you probably have a pretty good understanding uh, about the concept of covenant blessings and curses. Has your mom ever said to you, uh, I need you to go outside and play for a couple hours, and then when, uh, when you're done, you can come in and have some ice cream? That's a covenant blessing. All right, she wants you to do something, and she promises if you do that, then you get ice cream. Uh, you've, you're probably also aware of covenant curses. Uh, maybe your mom and dad say, we're going to put you to bed now, and we're gonna, you're, you need to be quiet and go to sleep. 
Has your mom and dad ever said that? And, and if you don't go to sleep, a dad's going to come in and um, there might be some encouragement. There might be a spanking involved. Or maybe they'll say, we're going to leave it and the babysitter is going to come and watch over you and you need to be good because when we come home, we're going to ask the babysitter, how did you do? And if it didn't go well, well, you don't want to know what's going to happen. <laughs> All right, those are covenant, those are curses. Okay, those are covenant curses. Uh, both blessings and curses are aids to help you live a happy, healthy, God-honoring life as a child in your family. And in Leviticus 26, God is talking to his children, the Israelites, along the very same lines. God's desire for Israel is that they walk a happy, healthy, holy, God-honoring, fruitful life as his children. He's redeemed them out of the bondage of Egypt. They're no longer slaves. The text says they, they, they walk erect. They walk as with dignity. But the only way they continue, can continue to walk before the Lord and in, live a God-honoring life and not go back into bondage is by observing God's laws, by walking the path that God has laid down for them. As I said, uh, Leviticus 26 is somewhat the end of the chapter. We know that because uh, Leviticus is formed and the covenant that God made with Israel is formed very much along the lines of a covenant that would be made in those days between kings, between countries. And uh, the, the king maybe that had conquered would, have, would set up a, a contract, a covenant with the, with the kingdom that he had, he had uh, uh, taken over, and there were certain things they were required to do, and at the end of those covenants, you would have blessings and curses. So all the commands, stipulations, and then the blessings and curses. If you do this, I promise I'll do this. It's going to be great. If you don't do this, this is what I will do to you. It's going to be awful. There are aids to help people walk according to the covenant. And that's what God is doing here in Leviticus 26. Uh, commentators, uh, um, or the, the, the text divides itself very easily into four portions. Uh, verses 1 and 2 is just a very brief summary of the law. Then in verses 3 through 13, we have the blessings. 14 through 39, the curses. And then 40 through 46, God, what God promises to repentance. And so that will be our outline this morning. First then, a summary of the law, verses 1 and 2, it's, it's very brief. You shall not make idols for yourself, God says in verse 1. Uh, don't bow down to them. Um, this involves the, just the critical issue of worship. Uh, Kevin DeYoung breaks down this summary into three parts that are just essential parts of covenant keeping. Worship, rest, and reverence. Uh, and, and verse 1 deals with worship, that uh, you shall have no other gods before me, right? The, the most basic command. It's the foundational command. And you don't make graven images. You don't bow down to the false gods. You worship me and me alone. That's the, the essential commandment of the covenant that God makes. And to fail to do that, to bow down to other gods, is spiritual adultery, and it is a fundamental violation of the sacred covenant uh, that Israel has with God. So, worship, rest, you shall keep my Sabbaths. We talked about this last week, about how the Sabbaths were like a wedding ring. Uh, a wedding ring which signifies a covenant and signifies Israel's commitment to the principle of the covenant. The principle being that they are going to seek their salvation, not by their efforts, not by what they do, not by their merit, but they're going to seek their life, their salvation in God's promises, 
in what God promises to do. And so Sabbaths are times for resting, for trusting, for receiving from the Lord His blessings to His praise and glory. And to violate the Sabbath principle then is to repudiate the core principle of the covenant. So God says, keep my Sabbaths. And reverence. Reverence my sanctuary. Uh, they're to recognize that, that, that the sanctuary is God's dwelling place and that God is holy. We've, we've learned that through the book of Leviticus. He's not like the other gods. He's not just a petty um, God like the gods of the nations. He is a living God, a thrice holy God. And that um, the sanctuary and all the sacrifices that, that go along with it is God's way of opening a door for sinful Israel to dwell in the presence of this living, holy God. And so Israel is called to reverence God, to worship Him, to, to fear Him, to obey Him. This is key to life as God's people. Horatius Bonar says, All declension and decay may be said to, be, uh, to begin... Whenever we see these two ordinances despised, the Sabbath and the sanctuary, they are the outward fence around the inward love commanded by verse 1. When we just stop going to church, we stop reverencing uh, God's, we stop participating in God's worship. We stop, um, we stop our resting and, and, and go back to sort of our, our working. If you just let the, the basic elements of the Christian life start to fall away, and worship being a key one, you're just going to find um, your, your Christian life eroding. The world's going to slowly make its way and, and overtake your faith. It happens all the time. <clears throat> and so God sets, just reminds Israel of, of the law, of the, of the covenant. He's called them into a covenant relationship. And then he promises great blessings. If they, if, they will, if they will keep the covenant. And the, the blessings can be summarized as prosperity, peace, and presence. Prosperity, peace, and presence. God says, if you, if you obey my commands, if you walk in my statutes, verse 3, well, I will give you rain uh, in their season, and the land will yield its increase, and the trees shall yield their fruit. Your threshing will last till the time of the grape harvest. You'll be, you're going to be so busy bringing in the grain... It's going to be such an abundant crop that you're going to barely get done with threshing and it's going to be time for the grape harvest. And the grape harvest, you'll be doing that until it's time to start sowing the grain again. It's just abundance, abundance, abundance. Now, in an agrarian society, of course, this is, the, this is the definition of prosperity. And God promises to prosper them in the covenant. Uh, there's also the promise of peace. I will give you peace, verse 6 in the land. And you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove the harmful beasts, and the sword shall not go through your land. Now notice they still need to fight. They're not back in Eden. There are still foes to face, but God promises victory. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. It's a wonderful blessing. God promises by His strength to give them peace. And most importantly, God promises His presence. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. That is the mother load of the covenant promise. That, that is the definition of Eden, and it's the definition of heaven. 
When you get to the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and chapter 22, God says there will be no more death and no more crying and no more pain. I'll make everything new, but the the mother load is, and I will dwell with them and be their God, and they shall be my people. It's the exact same language. This is the definition of blessedness. This is what, if the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart, this is what you want. End of the day, what you want is to be in the presence of God, to know God, to dwell with God as his child. David says, Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire within his temple. This is the, this is, this is the blessed life. The prophets foresaw a future when there would be peace and prosperity in the presence of God. Isaiah speaks of it, chapter 11, verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. They shall neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. If you're a person who just feels battered by the reality of life in a broken and fallen world and, and the the hard truth about your own weakness and sin. These are, these are beautiful, precious promises. Things that God promises to us as surely as he promised it to Israel then. This is life as it was meant to be. And so God wants to encourage them and us in covenant faith and obedience by, by reminding us of the incredible blessings that, that he will give as we, as we follow Jesus Christ. And, and again, just to remind you, the... Um, I'm going to get a little bit of a tangent here, but, but I think it's important so I'm not un- misunderstood. That doesn't mean that if you just keep, keep your nose clean and do it right, uh, you're, going to, you're going to be rich and you're going to have right, uh, good-looking kids and um, everything's just, your, your, your job's going to be crazy successful. That, that's not what it means. In a broken world, uh, we're going to experience the realities of, of the fall, and God has ordained different experiences for all of us according to his infinite wisdom. What it does mean is that as we hold to Christ Jesus in faith and obedience, um, when we get to the end of our life, we're going to realize that we have the presence of God every day. And we can have the peace of God. And we can have the riches that God has given to us in Jesus Christ of all of our sins being forgiven and the Holy Spirit being poured out upon us and, and the riches of living a life that matters to the Lord. And then we get the eternity of peace and prosperity and presence like we could never have imagined. So these promises are for us as well. The curses then, uh, God spends more time on the curses uh, because uh, Israel and people sort of tend to take the blessings for granted. And we need to hear the curses to, to, to wake us up to what it could be like. And so God uh, defines disobedience in verses 14 and 15 in, in a bunch of different ways. Listen, listen to how he says it. If you will not listen to me, if you will not do all my commandments, if you spurn my statutes, if your soul abhors my rules so you don't do my commandments, but you break my covenant... Then I will do this to you. One thing you have to say, the Lord is clear. This is not uh, sort of ambiguous, vague. It's very straightforward. Disobedience is a refusal to listen, isn't it? It's a refusal to do what God says. So boys and girls, when your mom says, you know, please listen to me. She's not just asking you to hear something. She's probably asking you to do something. You need to listen when I tell you 
to do this. And that's exactly uh, what God is saying to his people. You need to listen. And listening means doing. And not doing means spurning and abhorring. If your soul abhors my rules. You see, people, uh, this is what disobedience looks like. We, we think maybe uh, disobedience is a small thing. God does not. Um, disobedient people are people who, they've, they understand the commands. They know the commands, right? The Israelites could tell you what God had said they were supposed to do. It's just that they didn't want to do them. Our sinful nature wants to live life on our terms. I mean, that's just how it is. We, we want to be autonomous. We want to have our way. It's what our sinful flesh does. And uh, Jesus talks, uh, has a parable about people who refuse to do what God says. Remember uh, the parable about the two men who built houses, one on rock and one on sand. And both of them heard the commands of God. They both understood the commands of God. They could give you probably lessons and lectures on the commands of God. One of them, however, did the commands of God, and the other one didn't. And the one who didn't, of course, built his house on sand. And when the judgment came, his house, his life, was just washed away in the flood of divine judgment. Jesus uh, spoke to the Israelites um, this, this piercing question. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you to do? Right? It's, it's like Jesus saying, I don't think you know what that word means. Lord means ruler, king, boss. And so if you're going to call me Lord, boss, ruler, king, well then obey. But if you're not going to obey, don't call, don't call me Lord. Why do you call me Lord but don't do what I tell you to do? Well, that's a common problem in our lives, in the lives of God's people, we can fall into that kind of willful disobedience. We know the commands, we don't want to do the commands. Maybe that's you this morning. You know the command of God, but you're living today in willful disobedience. You just don't want to do the command. And so you, you come to church, you profess the doctrines, but you're holding on to your sin. Maybe it's your drinking, your pot, your pornography, your anger, your gossip, your materialism, your laziness, whatever it is. Your bitterness, your judgmental attitude. You know it's wrong, but you make excuses. You know it's wrong, but you justify it. You try to find other things in your life that maybe will make up or, or there's reasons for your sin. Well, that's just what disobedience look like, looks like. What willful disobedience looks like. And Jesus would say to you exactly what he said to, to the Israelites of his day. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you to do? You see, the curses then are meant to get Israel's attention and to move them out of willful disobedience into a lifestyle of repentance, which is essential for, for life in God's covenant. And they are a descending litany of terror. So... God says, this is what I will do to you, verse 16, I will visit you with panic and wasting disease and fever that consumes the eyes and makes the heart ache, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it, and I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. You see, it's, it's just a reversal of the blessings, isn't it? Instead of, instead of peace, God says, uh, I will visit you with panic. 
Instead of prosperity, God says, you're going to sow your seed in vain because your enemies are going to eat it. And you're going to be, um, you're going to be ruled by people who hate you. And worst of all, instead of the presence of God and the shining face of God, God says, I will set my face against you. God, you see, is serious about their sin because he's seeking their life. He, he wants them to repent. He wants them to wake up and to see the sin and then turn from the sin in repentance. And, and, and he's going to persist in this. So, so he says in verse 18, in, if in spite of this you will not listen to me, so if you still will not listen to me, so God's going to visit them with some discipline and he's hoping or, right, that they will repent. But if they don't repent, then we go to the next stage. Then I will discipline you again, sevenfold for your sins. And we find that pattern repeating over and over. So verse 21, you have it again. Verse 23, you have it again. God seeking repentance, so he brings discipline. But if they don't repent, then we go to a more severe discipline. And if they don't repent, then we go to another level of discipline. Notice that the only thing that's driving those levels along is belligerence. It's just belligerence. Uh, one of the, the, the things that I explain to people when, when, uh, in our new members classes is that we do practice church discipline here at Harvest Church for exactly the same reasons, uh, because, because people do get caught up in sin. We all do. And, and, and we need to love each other well enough to say, brother, sister, that is outside the bounds of covenant life. You can't, you can't live in this willful disobedience and call Jesus Lord. And so we're asking you to repent. And the only thing that moves the process of discipline along is belligerence. That's it. If, they would, if, if Israel would repent at level one, it's done with, as we're going to see. If they repent, God relents. The purpose of discipline is to produce repentance. That's all it's, that's, that's all it's for. And so... Um, belligerence is what drives it along and and it drives it along here in in leviticus chapter 26 until you come to utter desolation verse 27 but in if in spite of this you still will not listen to me but walk contrary to me i will walk contrary to you in fury and it will lead to utter devastation and Jesus, uh, God explains the devastation will be um, the worst judgments possible. There's going to be such intense hunger, people will eat their children. They will eat their children. There will be an utter desolation of the land so severe that when their enemies actually come in and take over the land, they will be appalled at what God has done to Israel and to the land. And they will be sent away out of the land into captivity. And worst of all, God himself will reject them. He says, if you walk contrary to me, I will walk contrary to you. I will set my face against you in fury. Now, if you know the history of Israel, you know this is exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. And I'm sure when Israel first heard these, these commands and these blessings and these curses... I'm sure they said to each other, let's obey. We do not want the curses. And whenever the law would be read, we don't want the curses. And yet they got the curses. All of them. 
They ended up eating their children. They ended up being taken away into captivity. The, southern, the, the northern tribes were taken away by the Assyrians and never returned. The southern two tribes were taken away by the Babylonians for 70 years, and, were, and then some of them returned. But Israel was never again what it had been. And then in AD 73, the Romans came and sacked Jerusalem and completely eviscerated, devastated it. You see, God keeps His word. And the curses that He pronounces here, way, now they're not even in the land of Canaan yet. But the curses God pronounces here ends up being exactly what happens to Israel. Why? Well, there's lots of reasons. The primary being is because Israel was stiff-necked and stubborn and because sin is a hard, hard thing to break. Sin is a mighty, mighty power inside of the human heart that we cannot by ourselves change. We cannot free ourselves. And so even though the people said, we will never do that, that's exactly what they ended up doing. And even though God disciplined, and sometimes they would repent, at the end of the day, they received complete devastation. And there's a lesson in that. Just, it's, it's, it's here to remind us, Paul tells us these things are written for us, for our salvation, these things are here to remind us that God is very, very serious about His covenant. God is very, very serious about who He is as a holy God and the fact that He's called a people to reverence Him as a, as a holy God. And that when God's people dismiss that holiness, when God's people embrace worldliness, when God's people just simply decide to go their way and ignore the commands, God notices and God will respond. You see these churches, I drive by the, down the street, and you'll see churches waving uh, the, the gay pride flags. God notices churches that abdicate his rules. But, but that's not the only sin, right, churches can commit. We can, we can be just full of materialism and greed and selfishness and idolatry of our, of our own nature. God notices. God pays attention. And... God disciplines those he loves. Praise God that he does. Praise God that he does. For God to leave Israel, just to, to leave them in their sin, to, to not bring the curses, you see, would have been just to consign them immediately over to death and, and, and to judgment. It's just to leave them, go to the, their own way and to hell. It's the same way as parents, right? You can, you can decide you're not going to discipline your children in any way. You're going you're gonna to really work hard to protect their tender little self-esteem, and you're going to um, just try to appease them, uh, but you'll never rebuke them, you'll never admonish them, you'll never stand in their way, you'll never bring any uh, consequences to their disobedience. You can do that, but you're just signing that child over to a life of misery and possibly an eternity of hell. Because discipline is, is God's gift to disobedient people. It's God's uh, way of waking us up to the reality of spiritual things and turning again to the Lord. He loves us enough to discipline us. That's Hebrews chapter 12. Don't, don't despair when it's hard. God is disciplining you as, as sons. And it's not pleasant. I mean, the writer of Hebrews says it, it's not pleasant. Right? If you say, yeah, but this really hurts. Yeah, it, it does. But it produces a harvest of righteousness for those who've been trained by it. Praise God that he disciplines those he loves. And 
praise God for the promise then that God gives to us as we repent. That's verse 40 and following. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me and, and walking contrary to me, if their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and with Isaac and with Abraham, and I will remember the land. God promises to respond to repentance. He promises to. You find that throughout the scripture, a, a popular one, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, that's repentance, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's a wonderful, wonderful promise. Israel, unfortunately, didn't take advantage of it. They didn't turn from their wicked ways, and ultimately they received the judgment. And there's a lesson there that God has for us as well, and that is that the laws and the commands of the Old Testament, as good as they were, were not sufficient to rescue Israel from their sin. Sin was too strong. The people were too weak. And that's the beauty of the gospel where God comes with a new covenant. A God, you see, has made a way to overcome the obstacle of our sin and our weakness. As Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for what the law could not do and that it was weakened by sin and by the sinful flesh. God has done. God has done what the law could not do. God has done what the law could not do. And God did that, friends, through Jesus Christ. It, the, the gospel comes to a, a, a world in the grip and the bondage of sin, and it can't, we cannot extricate ourselves. And even a good and holy law, like God's law in the Old Testament, cannot free us. We can know it, we can agree with it, we can say, yes, we want to do that, and yet we cannot break free from the power of, of sin. But Jesus can. And so when Jesus comes to the earth, he comes as the law keeper who suffers the curses of the law that we might receive the blessings of it. And so Jesus received the curses, all of them, right? He suffered poverty. When he was on the cross, he had nothing, not even clothes, complete abject poverty. He suffered panic, as you remember him in the Garden of Gethsemane, gripping the ground, my God, my God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. My God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows the panic of the curse. Jesus knows the Father turning his face away. He is this is the covenant curse. These aren't just bad things happening. This is covenant curse falling on Jesus, though he's without sin. And the wonder of the gospel is he's receiving those curses for our sin in our place. So that our disobedience doesn't receive curses, but in Jesus Christ, by faith in him, as we confess our sin, our sin receives blessing. Our life receives blessing. Our sin is cursed in Christ. Our life receives all the blessings that Jesus Christ has obtained, the blessings of peace, the blessings of prosperity and presence. You see, friends, the gospel is not about how to be a good person. The gospel is about God's invitation to rebellious sinners to come and find the eternal blessings through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and then that power transforming your life. And so God calls you today, maybe if you're living in willful disobedience this morning, can I just read from Ezekiel 18, God speaking to Israel and speaking to us, to you? Repent, God says. 
Turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Friend, if you are in unrepentant, willful disobedience today, God himself is inviting you today to turn, to repent, and promises to give you life, promises to respond to that repentance. Of course, he's the God who will move you to repent in the first place, but God will respond to that act of repentance as you humble yourself. God respond, promises to respond with blessing. I had the joy this past week of having two men come to me, um, men that, that I and others have been talking to about their sin, willful disobedience. And this week, two men came, and by the grace of God, were able to say, I want to turn. I want to change. I see my sin. And to embrace, then, the means that God has given through his word, through prayer, through the fellowship of the church. We want to see that just multiply in our own lives and, and as people come to know Jesus Christ. The, the wonderful work of God bringing sinners to repentance so that sinners can experience all the blessings that Jesus Christ has died to give to us. And one day, friends, as we, as we live this life of repentance and faith, one day we're going to experience, God promise, promises, we're going to experience blessings we cannot imagine of peace where there's no more sin, no more death, and no more crying, of inestimable prosperity as we receive all the riches that belong to Jesus Christ. And the motherload promise of it all, we will be there in the presence of Christ. We will be with God, and God will dwell with us and be our God. Let's live for that. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, God in heaven, you know how sinful we are, how weak we are, and I thank you that Jesus is so great a Savior. I thank you, Lord, that you are able to break through our hard hearts and bring us to repentance and faith. And Lord, do that work today. I thank you, Lord, for the the grace of repentance. And Lord, if there be anyone here this morning who's just living in willful disobedience this morning, that you would, Lord, give that heart the ability to humble themselves and to repent in truth, not just in words, but in truth to humble themselves and to seek your face. And Lord, for those of us who are weary in this battle, we've been fighting with sin, we've been seeking help, we want to grow, and, and it's hard and sometimes progress seems so small. Father, I pray that we'd be encouraged that, that you are with us, that as, as we walk in repentance and humility before you, you have not turned your face away from us. You delight to show us life. And I pray, Lord, that we'd be encouraged to continue walking as, we, as you are leading us to our eternal home. Father, I thank you that you speak your word into our brokenness and, and in our rebe into our rebellion and that you plead us to come, to come in faith, to come in repentance, to live. God, I pray that you'd give us that grace in Jesus' name. Amen.